Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Welcome back for another episode in our Oscar series with close looks at the nominees and the technical categories. This is episode five of 12, and today we're talking about animated feature. Happy to welcome back returning guests. First, Ken Seki. You're a 20-year Hollywood veteran, and your animated credits include Megamind, The Boss Baby, and last year's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Nice to see you again. Hey, it's great to be back. I love it. Also back, Camille Laganza. You've been working on animated films for more than 20 years yourself, with credits including The Incredibles, The Secret of Kells, and going back to your start in the industry, a classic, The Iron Giant. Welcome back to Below the Line. Thanks for having me back. Respect on the Iron Giant for sure. <laughs> Respect on Mega Mind. Because <laughs> that's where we met. That's where we met. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you can learn more about Kent and Camille and where they've worked together on the Internet Movie Database. Below the Line has its own page on IMDb, so it's easy to find this episode and click on the names of my guests. Okay, the five 2023 animated feature nominees are The Boy and the Heron, Elemental, Nimona, Robot Dreams, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We're going to discuss them in that order, and spoilers are possible, so consider this a warning. One last note, and I know I'm sounding like a broken record. We like to recognize our below-the-line compatriots by name, but it does mean that occasionally I'm mispronouncing some of them. Unfortunately for me, this is a tough set, so apologies in advance to the nominees. Kent and Camille, you are both welcome to correct me. Without further delay, let's get into it. First, The Boy and the Heron, Hayao Miyazaki and Toshio Suzuki. Boy and the Heron, are we doing? Okay, let's do this. Uh, Miyazaki's last film? Are you kidding me? I mean, it's amazing that this, one, that it exists, because I think he came out of retirement. Um to make this film and then two like it's it's his last film and so i think that there's a lot of folks that are you know rooting for this film and and just really excited to have seen it i watched it two times twice i did <laughs> i know um because i i felt like i was watching this like miyazaki fever dream and I don't know how you how you felt, Kent, when you were watching it, but I it was just so it, it's so interesting, but there's so much in it, um, and it's so bizarre. It is uh, a bizarre movie. It is like, <laughs> bizarre, and I say this in the all the right ways. It is yes. bizarre, <laughs> and yeah. I, that's not a knock against it either. I mean, it's classic Miyazaki, right? It's it's this world building, it's uh, time traveling in a weird sort of way, um, and it has a lot of crazy symbolism there's building the child building blocks that create the world yes. that they go into there's all these crazy creature human hybrid things the the heron a yes, heron it's... that i'm gonna have nightmares about for the rest of my life <laughs> they open his mouth and there's a face there's a head inside his mouth that comes out and walks around like this anthropomorphic you know like bird suit like living bird suit of a yeah. man that walks around it's pretty crazy um human eating parakeets Right. Human eating parakeets in it. Like it has a little something for everyone, right? In there. In there. <laughs> but you're right. Like Miyazaki has retired several times. And then he came out of retirement to make this film. Right. That's insane. Like yeah. I, he's retired more than like any sports star that's <laughs> any aging athlete that needs one more win. He keeps coming back. And this one was you a know, hit. And he's like, and he's <laughs> like the Michael Jordan of, of animation. I mean, he's so beloved. Yes. Like 
he's been around forever. Like so many classic films. Yeah, he and he made the breakthrough in the Oscars. He won the Oscar for Spirited Away in 2003 for Best Animated Feature. Yeah. Well, and this is an exciting yes, year. Yes, it really is. And, and like, it, I think Camille, you're 100% correct that like, if this is his last film, he's in his 80s. He is, you know, you don't know if he's going to have another one. You just don't know if that's going to happen because they, they take so long to make, you know. And I had read that there's a lot of very personal aspects of this particular film. That like his his family during the the war the uh, the World War II had to move to a different uh, town. His father did work in a manufacturing for the war effort. Um, mm -hmm. I think his mother may have even died in a hospital fire or some something I think related. So. I think so. I think I read that too. So yeah, very personal and and the themes of just like past, present, and future and family and and all those connections. Like it, it's just a very personal film and I think you can you can take away so many different things from it that's that's why I watched it twice because I was like I you know on one hand there's this you know really bizarre symbolism and and just the wara wara little crowd cloud <laughs> like those little creatures that the storks eat and um <laughs> it's like but then the, that that kind of deeper underlying theme of you know this poor boy has lost his mother and is really searching for that connection and family and you know is being kind of forced into this bizarre situation where he's you know his stepmother is his um aunt and yeah um i don't know just going on that adventure it's it's this weird thing where like there's the redemption arc of the mother with the son like there's this whole great thing that happens there where she knows she's going to like it's revealed throughout the story from the story that she knows she's going to die and that she had disappeared as a younger person, as a, as a girl, and that he meets the younger version of his mother, and that is the that becomes the connection that they make. And it really is, that's the underlying thematic, I think the most important part of this whole story is that moment of like realization that this is his mother, his mother knows that, you know, has gone off in this other world, and it still will still go on and do, and like sort of meet her fate. And like, mm -hmm. there was something very, very poetic about it. But I, I, I think it's an, an amazing, beautiful, classic Miyazaki film in that way. And, and, and as far as like, if you're at home doing your Oscar pool, this won the Golden Globe. So it is the spoiler for this year's Oscar race. Like if you had to say, well, anyone could, let's, then let's be honest, this, you know, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse is the front runner. If anyone has a shot at sort of taking taking the crown, I think this is a good one. I think this is one you could say has a good chance of doing it because it is Miyazaki. It could be Miyazaki's last film. It has garnered the best box office for his run at in the US. It is well-reviewed. Um, and I think the, the the Academy will have a soft spot for him because of the legendary status he, he, up, he upholds. They just had a uh, just maybe a year ago or two years ago, they had the exhibit at the Academy Museum, oh, the Miyazaki exhibit. Yeah, it's amazing. It was amazing. I think that there's a lot here going for Miyazaki. And if and if you haven't seen the film, like it is a good example of the fantastic fantasy or fantastical anime style. Like it's mm -hmm. really that kind of film. There were two that were sort of front runners for for getting the nomination. It was Suzume and this one, and this one did get it. Suzume did not. But this is a great uh, example of that for anyone who's sort of looking at anime as far as something to, to watch. It's it's a it's a different kind of 
animated con- film content. You know, yeah. and it is the representative of anime in this year's collection of nominees. And I would say it is a little darker than his earlier films. Um, I think just with the, I don't know, totally with the themes of of death and um, kind of coming back. But I, I think I, I enjoyed it. I, I think it's, you saw it twice, so you I must. No, I, <laughs> I just, but I, I love Miyazaki, and yeah. um, I just, I do think that you can take so many things away from this film just because there is so much going on and there's so much packed into it. And I think probably no matter where you are in your life, you probably take something else away uh, from it. Cause I think there's just a lot of really beautiful nuances. Um, but, but yeah, I am going to have nightmares about the stork man. Um, and those I parakeets. I no, I will. No, it's there. It's, it's there. It's happening. It's, it's happening. Yeah, no, it's happening. <laughs> like for sure. <laughs> But it's a it's a beautiful movie, absolutely beautiful film. I saw this in the theater because it wasn't available for streaming, at least at what I had available. Um, and I do think, though, to your point of everything that's going on, it was hard to follow. I enjoyed the film very much as all those elements, but I think you have to watch it with some focus. And I think sort of a oh, let me yeah. go catch an animated film in the middle of the day, not the best approach. Like you need to go no. in knowing that <laughs> no. you're going to need to stay focused you know maybe you don't go out to brunch ahead of time i mean it's sort of the movie demands your attention i think to get the rewards that we're talking about out of it and i not guessing about voting it's a great film Uh, but i'm gonna need to watch it a second time myself i think you're you're 100 correct that it like this kind especially it's because it's in a foreign language it it, it, and even if even if you do get watch it with the so the english version the dubbed version it's still there's a lot to unpack in the film and it's very deep so yeah. as far as like its symbolism and what things mean and and just to follow the story because it's so much world traversing the crazy you know world that they go into that's in this castle is fan- is so fantastical that it it's hard to understand like there's a there's there's a point at which there's these built literally kids blocks that start to collapse and then the world starts to collapse and you have to understand what, you know, you have to fully understand, but you have to sort of be like, oh, this, there's a cause and effect relationship here. That's super important. And the idea of responsibility and duty and whether or not you do the thing that like would change your life. There's a lot of things in there that are hard to, hard to sort of comprehend in a way. Yeah. So if you watch it at home, you really have to just sit there and watch it. Like you can't get up. <laughs> Yeah. Go Maybe on your phone, fix the snack. what's going on on Instagram or, you know, like that kind of thing. You'll come back and be like, wait, what? <laughs> what just happened? What happened to the guy with the head inside the stork mouth? Where did he go? Yeah, what happened to that guy? Next on our list is Elemental, Peter Sohn and Denise Reem. All right. So Elemental is this year's Pixar entry. You can't have a, a an Academy Award without a Pixar movie in it. This is this is this year's Pixar film. Uh, longtime veteran Peter Sohn, um, at from Pixar. If you don't know it, he was the model for the boy in uh uh what was that movie? Up. Up, yes. He the for the Boy Scout in Up, he was the model for that character. He also famous. He was a story artist there, beloved story artist who moved up to be a co-director on Good Dinosaur, and this is his next film. And this also is a very personal movie for him. It it's an allegory, or it's, it's very clearly an allegory for the immigrant story, um, and it's a combination of his life and then the question of can water and fire mix? Right. I think those are the two sort of concepts that are colliding in this 
film and a little bit maybe unrelated to the film itself, but we should touch on this. When this movie came out, there was a lot of talk about the box office and how it did. And to be frank, it is the comeback box office of the year. Yep. So it came out and there was a lot of people, naysayers talking about Pixar has lost its way and they were bagging on the opening weekend, which was not great here in the domestic box office, but it hung in there and across the international box office, it went on to make like almost half a billion dollars worldwide. And I think that's a testament to the staying power of the film. And one note, it actually surpassed Spider-Verse in the international box office. Well, there you go. So there, so that tells you the international appeal of this story that Peter Sohn has told. And I think it's a redemption for him and for a lot of people. The other thing I want to point out is of every film, animated film that came out after the pandemic, this has done the best of any original animated film. The rest of the films that may have done better box office-wise were all sequels or franchises. So that tells you something about the changing demographic or the changing tastes of and how challenged the animated feature film box office is. And people lament that there are not enough original content or original you know, features out there. This is an original feature. And so I think it says a lot that it, even though it was mal maybe not maligned is too strong a word, I, you know, but it was downplayed when it first came out uh, that it, but it hung in there and it has, you know, come out and done well and, and kudos to the men and women who worked on this film and hung in there with it. And it was, it's great that it has done well. And Beyond that, beyond that, it is it is an is it a fantastic movie to watch. It is it is a lot of the 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 Pixar magic is there. I think it should be pointed out that one of the things about Pixar that's amazing is their technical prowess. And to to imagine ten years ago that there would be a a movie where the two main characters are simulated characters, meaning that they have to be not only keyframe animated, but on top of that, there has to be a physics based simulation run that means that the computer is calculating how to sort of deform their characteristics and it's the whole movie is phenomenal and is an achievement so when i say that the main character ember is fire and so literally every frame is moving of that character and on top of the emotion and the actual acting there's this other thing happening that has to work in concert with that and then her love interest, Wade, is water, which also has to be simulated. Every time that character moves, the water has to react and move in the same way that water. So you buy that it's, that these characters are made out of fire and water. So it is that's amazing to me, that achievement, and should and should be noted for our viewers that like watch it when you watch that film. Notice how you can one see the acting of those characters, but two are always aware of what they are made out of. And like that is the classic Pixar thing to be able to do that. It is such Pixar magic that you don't even think about that when you're watching it like it, it is so well done and those characters are just so well designed and fit completely into that world um, that they've created for for Elemental so uh, I just think you know kudos to to that whole crew because that is a, a big world that they built and I know it took I think it took seven years I think you're right I think seven years to actually come to fruition like there was that much development that went into it that long a time before they felt they were ready, the tools were ready to make the movie itself. And that's one thing about animated films that's maybe more unique to anime is the long development time and production time. So most films are just a couple of years, sometimes even just less than a year to make. These things take 
you know, we're talking, you know, almost a decade here to make this film. And the decision to make it has to take that long, you know, has to be made that far. You know, you have to imagine in the future what people will want to see from a financial standpoint, like, oh, we're making this investment and we believe it'll pay off in the future. I think that Pixar in its most recent incarnation has really shifted toward these more personal stories. If you, you know, ever since Soul, like if you look at Luca turning red in this film, those filmmakers are really telling stories that are based in some part in their own life. And not just like metaphorically or allegorically, there's something there that I think they are really grabbing onto. And it's a, it's a shift. It's a little bit of, it's a shift that I've noticed over the last few years with Pixar. And I think it's this next generation of filmmaker. And this is emphasis almost on that personal story. And I think it's a risky move to make. And I'm not saying it in a bad way. I'm saying it's a risky move that, that that's interesting to me that, that, that is, and it may not be conscious. It just maybe the voices of the new generation of Pixar directors and filmmakers that's sort of going on. Although you could argue Peter Stone has been at Pixar for a long time, but this is his second feature. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is such a personal story for him. And I just, I, if you have a chance to watch the making of Elemental on, on Disney plus, like it's just fantastic, you know, because he really takes the viewer back home and to his father's store, you know, that, that he ran and his dad had a hot dog cart, you know? And so, <laughs> you know, just hearing the story of his own life and his childhood and, um, you know, even meeting his wife and, and just kind of those personal things that have been infused into Elemental. Like there's just, there is so much of him in this story. Um, it's just, it's really beautiful, but I, I really recommend watching that because I do think it gives a really great perspective on where this film came from. Yeah. I th And I think I had heard, I read that you know, it was kind of a tribute to his mother and father. And sadly, they had passed away before the completion of this film. So I think there's a little bittersweet also for Peter Sohn from a sort of personal perspective about, you know, how long it took to make it and what he was. I'm sure they saw cuts of it or parts of it and that could relate to some to, to, to the story that he's telling. But really kudos to him for taking that risk and sort of going for something that that really I think all great movies have a part of the filmmaker in them. And that's this one for sure has that. And the more you know, I, and I agree with Camille, the more you know about the filmmaker, not that you have to know, but I think it enhances your experience watching. Absolutely. And I do just have to shout out like the the main character's father, Bernie, is voiced by animation legend, Ronnie Del Carmen, which- <laughs> A little trivia, a little just, trivia for everyone. I know, which I just, I love that so much because he has such a warm voice and warm personality and it just really comes through. And uh, I, I love that little, that little tidbit in there. Also, one shout out to the cinematography, the camera work oh, yeah. by Ace, head of cinema DP, David Bianchi. Much Ooh. love to David Bianchi. Great job doing shooting the film, and and it's uh, the compositions are beautiful, and of course because he's the DP of it. But you done good. <laughs> <laughs> Both Camille and I had the uh, had the uh, honor of working with Mr. Bianchi at at Pacific Data Images PDI, and he was a superstar there, and you knew he was going to go on to great things, and. Here he is at Pixar doing great things. So yeah. it's exactly what you would expect of that guy. And he's a great guy too. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of good people on this one. You guys follow up with me a little bit more about this idea of plotting a movie so far in advance that the technology for you to deliver it will actually catch up with you. At what point do you make the decision in the beginning? Is it that we know that if we spend seven years on working on these uh, computer models with fire and water, we will get to the point where we can or is there this risk that it might never turn out like we've imagined 
up front. Like this idea to green light a project that's dependent on technology getting better. How does that work in the animation space? Well, I think they probably did a lot of tests before moving forward with production. I think you have to definitely prove that you are going to be able to develop the technology and create some kind of prototype because otherwise yeah. that's a lot of money. A lot of people to risk to not be able to deliver. Yeah. They used to do it in the shorts. Like, so there was a time long ago in the <laughs> in the times when they made <laughs> short films, they would test their technology in the short, right? So they found a thing they wanted to, uh, they wanted to figure out, right? And then they designed, which is sort of amazing, even though that was the sort of the quote unquote purpose of the short, they would still design a great story around that bit of technology. Now, because shorts don't really increase the, you know, the revenue of a company, they most places have moved away from the short film, but they used to do it that way. So, and Pixar has a big R&D department. And so I'm sure there was this notion of, hey, we want to do this thing. They went back, as Camille said, made a prototype or did some testing. And they're like, oh, okay, we believe we by the time we're in production, this will be you know ready for prime time. So it is a, definitely a calculated sort of you know like risk. I, I think when we get to one of our next films, our last film, Spider-Verse, that's a great example of like, <laughs> they really jumped without the parachute on that one, you know, knowing if the parachute would deploy. Like for sure- the Spider-Verse world, which changed all of animation, yeah. even on the first one, they did a test, but the test broke everything. And they just said, well, we'll figure it out. You know, like we'll force, <laughs> yeah. we'll force ourselves <laughs> to figure it out. Just, let's just move forward with that. Go it's for just it. so cool. We have to do it kind of thing. You know, like that was what the result of the spider. I mean, and I'm saying this very facetiously, but that's, I think there was an element of that in the making of the Spider-Verse, both Spider-Verse movies. And I would imagine the third one as well. Well, and the look of it is just so different because Elemental is very polished and, you know, they have to have those like perfect renders for the fire and the water and it has to work. And um, yeah, I can just imagine all of the tests that, that went into that and just, you know, years, years. Of, of years. building. I mean, even something as simple as making a character out of water, like think about how the light has to react you look it's the character is completely transparent and when you look through that character it's not just transparent the light refracts meaning that the light bends as it goes through so the image you see on the opposite side of the character is warped and that warping has to be physically accurate which requires it's incredible amounts of computation they call it ray tracing but the number <laughs> of bounces that the ray trake takes you know causes this thing to happen and of course technology has improved over time but still it is not a simple calculation to make all right well we're going to move on to the third film on our list nimona nominated team is nick bruno troy quain karen ryan and julie zachary oh nimona nimona um the fact that this film even exists it should win you're here awards for that i mean the I, persistence I, award goes to nimona no matter what yeah and i and i like i i feel like all the films this year they're so emotional and like i just like each one is so different but but nimona for me like as a as a person who has worked in the anima animation industry for a long time like this was such a labor of love um and for for those of you that don't know like this was a film that was in production at blue sky studios uh which was based on the east coast and and disney purchased blue sky in the fox merger in the fox merger yeah. okay 
They bought and, Fox uh, and they got Blue Sky with that purchase. <laughs> right. Uh, but then they, they decided to shut Blue Sky down. And when that happened, this film essentially got shut down as well. But it was at a point where, okay, I remember when Blue Sky was closing, there was, people were really deep in production on this film. I think and 70% so was, done, 70% done in layout. Yeah. 70% done in layout. The layout department was finished. Yeah. And so there was just, there was a lot of heartbreak that, you know, people had put so much time and love into this film and that was different and just had this you know very beautiful story that wasn't going to be told yeah and and so i just remember this kind of rippling over the industry this heartbreak of wow you know nimona's not going to get made um cut to annapurna and netflix coming in and dneg animation and now it's a film. And I and I think it's just such a, a testament to the animation industry and the love of this art and storytelling that all of these different companies were like, no, like we're gonna we're gonna do this. Like we're gonna make this film. A lot of people had to champion it to get it made. Like it was a lot of people's like real effort, not knowing if it would work, not knowing if they could save it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I agree. Well, it's amazing. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and it's, it's so well done. It's beautiful. It's, you know, if you, if you don't know about Nimona, it was, you know, based on N.D. Stevenson's graphic novel of the same name. And. Well, in fact, it was a web comic even before they gathered it up. I, I read it like week to week on wow. the internets back in the, I don't know. I have to, it's probably on the. What week. is this thing called the internet? You're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the look of it. I love the medieval futuristic world that they've, you know, created. Um, and then the characters of Nimona, of you know, herself is she's so, I don't know, she's so badass and metal. Um, Great voice and, by Chloe Grace Moretz. Her voice on that yeah. character is phenomenal. Like she, she yeah. like nails all the comedic moments in the right way, and it allows like when you have those reads. When you have somebody who's actually a great voice actor as well as a regular, a great actor, you end up with these reads that help inform the animation. Like that, it's so important. It's absolutely so important that you have that. Riz Ahmed did a great job too as Ballister, Sir Ballister. Uh, I, th I thought he nailed it. But what a, you know, I think, you know, as a film that has, you know, LGBTQ themes in it, but that it's just there. It's you just know, there. It's, I think it's that's what's there. great about it. It's just part <laughs> like, of the story, right? So this has been in the news a lot lately. We, it's hard to ignore the cultural war about these kinds of things. But like the fact is, it's just part of the story. And it's not yeah. the main part of the story. It's not something that, we're, that, that is like, it, but it's just part of the story that, and it feels organic to what's happening. And I think that's a great way to sort of do it. And and it's one that is is well done it's super well done and it feels authentic um you care about these characters you want there to be a resolution in the relationships it's it's a beautiful movie um and i think there's there is some irony and there was talk about this that if disney had held on to blue sky that by the time this movie had come out it would be changed yeah the studio has a lot of influence the overriding parent studio has a lot of uh, has a lot of influence over the final product, the final film. You're constantly getting notes from the studio. They're testing the movie. There's all these things. And especially at the bigger studios like Disney or DreamWorks or Pixar, there's a lot of testing of these movies that happens. 
And when things are controversial, and right now it's not a great time to be, for whatever reason, not a great time to be controversial and 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 feel like you can come out and say something. Yeah. I think in some ways it had to leave to Disney to come out in the way that it had it did. So it it's this weird thing where you get to the end and the movie comes out and you're like, well, it could only have gone that way for this movie to turn out the way that it did. The original director was Patrick Osborne. He came from Disney. He he did the short film that won the Oscar called Feast. It's about a little dog who wants to eat some some food, and it's it's a beautiful fe- uh, uh, a little short. And the look of this film is somewhat based, is influenced by that. But then he eventually he had to leave the project, but that look remained with Blue Sky. And then when Deneg took it over, they changed some of it, but you can still see the influence of that look in the film itself. So even though he didn't finish the film. His influence, his imprint is all over it. All the Blue Sky artists, because they had taken it to 70% layout and had shots that were finally lit, like their work is still, their fingerprints are on this film. And when you watch the credits, a lot of them are in the credits, which is a testament to the the Dean Egg and and Netflix that they included the Blue Sky credits. I think that's really fantastic that they're at the end of this film, considering like this was the film that they sort of went out on, right? And were unable to finish. And they worked so hard to make that it's all there in the credits of this film. So I, I just think that there's a lot here to root for and a lot here to love um, about the film and the story of how it was made. And of course, the audiences don't know all of this, but the film itself is fantastic. Yeah. And it's a really heartwarming and funny. The comedy is great. There's some great animation sight gags that work in you know visual comedy wise. Um, and there's big action, mm-hmm. big scale in, in, in this film. And one of the questions we always ask ourselves as people who work in animation is why does it need to be animated? And this clearly had to be animated for the world building, the shape shifting, and and just the cartoon comedy yeah. is like would not work in a live action way. So I, I think it's really well done. Well, and it's it's so emotional too, you know, because this is another one where I watched I probably watched it three times. Um <laughs> <laughs> just so well, one more wow What's i think you win the prize for how many times you watched it with well, you know i mean the first time i was like oh my gosh it's Nimona, yay! Um, and then you know i wanted to kind of refresh my mind and, and so i watched it a couple days ago again and it just i mean it, it's funny because i a couple years ago i met this storyboard artist who was like i love telling stories that like bring you in and then punch you in the gut and I feel like <laughs> Nimona is kind of one of those where, you know, you're in it and you're like, oh, my God, I'm into this action. But then towards the end, like I'm sitting on the couch just crying <laughs> because <laughs> it's, you know, you 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 just feel so much for this character and and that it's this theme of, of being accepted and loved and just that wanting that friendship and companionship and and that pain that comes out you know this that that scene at the end yeah yeah it's a one that tugs on your heartstrings it's it's a really fantastic movie so i would recommend it just on the movie itself uh being great but then the backstory on how it was made the true people that championed it and how it came to screen is pretty amazing kudos to all of them kudos to the many people at blue sky who were on it and worked so hard to make it happen um, and I, I'm impressed by the film and I'm impressed by the amount of effort that went in to get this done. And uh, Dean Egg and Anna Perna and Netflix, thank you for saving 
the film and bringing it to light. Like I really appreciate that they would go out and say, see it and, and be willing to go with it. You know, yeah. like that's great. Kudos to the entire industry <laughs> for, for helping to bring this one to life. Uh, to Almost everyone I day. know worked on it. No, I know, I know. I'm like, <laughs> at one studio or another. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how many people are now have spread out across the sort of the animation world that had worked on this in some shape or form. Yeah, and I will say one other thing, uh, if you're interested, uh, there was a free PDF online that is the art of Nimona, um, oh. which is very cool. That so is cool. you can dig around on the internet and, and find that and see some really amazing artwork. I want to follow up on that just a little bit, because while, while you were talking, I checked myself. So the webcomic ran on Tumblr from June of 2012 to September of 2014. And it was like one or two pages each time until it came together. Uh, he knew it was going to become a graphic novel. I, again, looking at the wiki. Now, I'm not familiar with Feast. I, I have to look that one up that you said the original director you, it was inspired some of the art. But when something starts as a graphic novel and works its way into animation, do you think some of that carries through in a way that affects or has a consequence for how they animate the final film? I know there's a there's a moment in Nimona where you actually see like in the wanted poster, it's actually the original character design of Nimona from, from that uh, either the webcomic or the graphic novel. But I think it's just, it's different because it, it was 2d, yep. you know, and then you're, you're translating that into this CG, you know, world. And so absolutely like the character designs changed, but I think they tried to be very true to the, the core of the characters and and just you know make them appealing in a way that that work in that cg space i think it's like any other time you take an existing ip and then you make it into a film in that there are elements that you for sure take and are influential and there are others which you feel don't work in an hour and a half two hour format that you are willing to sort of remove and it, it's a hard those are hard choices especially if you have a fan base that likes the original content um if, for example, if it, like there are people that love How to Train Your Dragon, the book, but the movie is really, really radically different from the book, but they're both great. And I think that's where you want to end up. You want to end up in a place where you can see the DNA of the book or the original graphic novel in the final product. But at the same time, you feel this final film is something that lives on its own. So it I, it is a struggle. Like I think Spider-Verse is a good, there's another example, like at Spider-Man, everyone knows, everyone knows who Spider-Man is, right? But yet it is its own original thing in the Spider-Verse world. It's almost in separate from the Marvel Spider-Man, separate from the Sony Spider-Man, separate from the comic, the you know, the original comic book. Although they're all there. Yeah. <laughs> separate but in represented in the Spider-Verse. We'll get to that. Spoilers. We'll get to that later. <laughs> You know, I know, Ken, you really want to talk about Spider-Man because you keep But first, we have another film to cover. <laughs> and this one, Robot Dreams, the nominated team is Pablo Berger, Iban Cormanzana, Ignasi Estape, and Sandra Tapia Diaz. Now, we will not do spoilers on this one because I haven't seen it. It hasn't come out yet. They have not maximize the nomination in other words and trying to get no this and it's so. this is super disappointing to me that they have not leveraged this nomination into some kind of viewing audience like so i you know i was lucky enough to see this film it made a splash at con so for those of you who don't know this is a spanish production and i think there's some there's some french in it too so spanish spanish and french production pablo uh uh, uh berger who is the director 
It's his first animated film. He had made live action movies and then decided to make this. It's based on a graphic novel by uh, 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 Sarah uh, Varon. And there is no dialogue in this movie. It's all imagery, music, and sound effects. And strangely, it takes place in the 80s New York City. Uh, why do I even say strangely? Of course, it takes place in New York City <laughs> in the 80s with, uh, uh, with an animals as instead of humans. So there's it's an animal world of the New York. It's very specific. Like these are specific choices. It's the eighties. It's instead of humans, they're animals. There's no English, although there are. I think there's text, like in posters and things like that. I think there might be some text somewhere, and it does feature Earth, Wind, and Fires September heavily. Heavily. So it's a very important song in this movie. So I don't think I. I don't think you would have predicted that in your animation bingo card this mm -mm. year would be a movie that has text all those all those boxes. It's two D, and so. I think that for audiences or people at home who are listening to the podcast, um, it may seem odd as this independent feature to be among this list of a very commercial, like in some ways, productions. But I think the Academy often likes to reward an indie film. It always often likes to reward a 2D, traditionally 2D animated film. And this definitely ticks those boxes, but it's also a beautiful and very adult in many ways film and deals with very adult themes of loss and melancholy friendship and friendship over time and how those change. And the way I would describe it without spoiling it for, for skid here is like you become friends with people throughout periods of your life. And sometimes they come in and out of the transient of your life, not be not intentionally. It just happens. The ending is a gut punch to me in the yes. same way for, for Camille, when she talks about, Nimona and the ending of that. Like for me, when I watched the ending of this film, I'm like, oh, oh, like my, yeah. I, I, there's a sort of, you're reaching out to the, to the, to the screens, like maybe, maybe. And I don't, I won't say what's going to happen because I, because, because Skid, you're going to see this movie and you're going to call me and say, yeah, oh, yeah, I felt that. Or you're going to say, ah, uh, can't, come on. I'm thinking I'm getting ready to cry now talking about that. You're already talking <laughs> about my life, just not in New York in the 80s. But. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, I know exactly, especially, especially if you, ha you know, as you become older and you have these relationships throughout periods of your life and you're very close to people. And for whatever reason, you may lose touch or, or, or you, and then you have these moments where you come back into their life and it, it, it has these themes in there. And, and it does a great job of doing it because it's anime. You know, like you ask, why does it have to be animated? And and this, the reason is I think it makes these things accessible in a way that doesn't require dialogue. Like that can be done visually. Um, it, it's it's really well drawn. And it has a lot to say about the New York City bureaucracy in <laughs> the city hall, surprisingly, which I will terrible. laugh about, which I thought a terrible bureaucracy. Terrible. Wrecked it all. <laughs> and construction. Yeah. Um, uh, what did you think, Camille? I, I, I mean... So yeah, spoiler alert, I, I watched it last night, just got it, got it in there before this. And um, I, I totally agree. I, I'm going to try not to, to spoil anything, but again, it, it is one of those really emotional films where you're drawn in and I just, it was so joyous and you know, you're, oh, I love this. I love it. And then boom, um, you know, again, I'm like in tears on my couch. <laughs> Like, it didn't go the way I thought it was going to go at all. It did not go at all. This year. Um, Camille crying is the theme. Camille, so, you know, crying, is, is... Camille crying on her sofa. <laughs> that's what, that's where I've been. Um, but it was beautiful. It was so well done. And I, and I think that's just a, a testament to the, the animators, you know, that, that, that created these characters and, and just those simple smiles on these creatures and, and just how much you, you feel and how, 
how emotive they are on the screen. And, um, you know, I think whether it's friendship or I, I thought of like first love, you know, where, you know, for whatever reason, you know, that's, that is what it is. But, but at the end, you're, you're just kind of left with this feeling of, of, wow, you know, I, I feel like I've been there, you know, I know what this, this feeling is. When you watch it, you really sort of can relate to some aspect of your life and your experience. And that that's a great animated film can do that. It will do that to mm -hmm. you where you really, even though it's animated and there's that little level of like, oh, it's a little foreign, it connects with you in some way. And this film, I think that's one of the reasons this film is on the list this year. And uh, I know that there may be people who are like sort of wondering, why did that movie make this? Like, if you see it, you won't wonder why. It's yeah. a beautiful movie. Um, and it, it it surprised me because I didn't know anything about it when I watched it. I didn't, it was only after, and I was preparing for the podcast here that I was doing the research about the history of it and say, oh, it was at Cannes, it had made a big splash. And so like it had a splash early last year at Cannes and it sort of faded away. I mean, I think at Annecy, it had, it made another, it was sort of, sort of and the, some more momentum there, but then you didn't really hear too much about it. You really didn't, unless you're in the animation community and I'm in that community. I didn't hear that much about it um, until the nomination, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. Same, same. I mean, I, I feel like that was kind of one of those, wow, what, you know, what is that film? Um, yeah. Because there were so many animated films that came out last year that, uh, you know, they could have chose from. And, and the fact that Robot Dreams landed on the list was like, hmm, Oh, what's that? Um, but it hasn't been distributed in the U.S. yet, so I think for most people, like they just haven't haven't seen it. So, um, but it is absolutely worthwhile. It is beautiful. It is touching, and it and it has very human themes in it. You know that you should you should watch it. Despite having a dog and a robot as their main characters, <laughs> there's a monkey in it, and there's like yeah. there's a raccoon. Some really mean anteaters that I don't yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. There's a duck <laughs> in it. There's a little bit of this duck story that's like whoa what happened here what uh huh there's moments in there where you're like oh you just, really just have a little box of oh, tissues no. next to you oh no like <laughs> but it's great it's great it is it is it's great it's great maybe this is time to revisit a conversation I, i'm pretty sure we have every year but the interesting thing about the animated feature nominee is it isn't just because it was a technical achievement in animation or something new in animation it's really like a best picture for films that happen to be animated. 100%. So it's as much about story and what's delivered. And with this one, again, not having seen it, is there anything about using a, a 2D approach that itself was revolutionary? Or is it really just that this story is so incredible and just happens to be animated that puts it in this category? I think it just happens to be animated. You know, I yeah. think it's a, a very, you know, human story that i mean it, animals and robots are, are our friends participating us our friends <laughs> um and it's in the you know but it but it does you know i will say like opening shot it opens and it's boom new york twin towers and so immediately like no matter who you are you have this like oh this little heart tug you know because you're like okay this is you know this yeah we're in the past here in new york city and and so it just kind of starts off like that but i think it it, it hooks you immediately um, and that dog is so appealing. Yeah. Just as a character. You really root for him. You really root for the dog <laughs> character. You really, really root for him. And I think you're you're 100% right, uh, Skid, that the animated feature film category at the Oscars really is best picture for animated film. 
there are people in the animation community who are very dismissive of the result often because it goes to a very commercial sort of film rather than maybe the one that they saw as the best animated feature of the year. And there's almost always some terrible story about, oh, I didn't watch any of the movies or you know, my kid picked it. And like that, that may be true. I'm not disputing the validity of that story or what are those stories that come out every year. But everyone I know in the Academy, when these movies come out and are nominated, tries to see every single one. Like that's, in, and that's, that's important that, 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 that the audiences should know that like this, that most people I know, I'm mean, in fact, I don't know anyone in the Academy personally that will vote in a category that where they did not see all the nominees, almost all of them. Yeah. In fact, I don't know a single one that would be like, oh, I just, I flippantly, the vote is, is super serious. It's super important. I know to me personally, I will not vote in a category if I do, if I do not see all the nominees. Uh, that's, I don't think it's fair to the nominees. You have to see every single one. And I think in this category this year, it's really interesting. It is an interesting year. It seems like some years there's a favorite, but this year I think it's pretty open um, with one probably heavy hitter, which we're about to talk about, which I'm obsessed with as Skid has sort of seen <laughs> on Shem's Saber form. But at the same time, I think it's been, it was a great year for animated films in that it wasn't a year where like there was huge a huge front runner or there was, and then there's all these, these other films have, are there too that are really deserving of being looked at. They all have something really special. You know, they're, they're all very different, but they're all just wonderful films. And there were also wonderful films that weren't, you know, nominated in this category. And, and just as a, as a category, it is something that I think is, is still, you know, controversial in the animation community because animation is film. And so why, you know, why is there a, a separate category uh, versus, you know, having it be just included in the rest of the live action films, but I think it's nice to have it as a category too, because then people recognize these films because they do take so long and they do take years and years of people's lives to create. And um, I think to celebrate that is really important. I, and I think it's good to have its own category. Actually, I'm pro the category because I think if you don't, then so many get ignored. Mm -hmm. But by having the category, it, it draws a spotlight onto these kinds of movies that if you don't know any better, you may be dismissive about, especially in the, the United States, you may be dismissive about these films. But the fact is, they are sophisticated films that tell stories that can not just be I mean, the big, the big knock is everyone thinks animated films are kids stories, like they don't have to be kids story. Just because a movie's animated doesn't have to fulfill that or check that box. Again, one thing you mentioned, again, I also agree that it's important that people who are voting on the various categories have seen all the films. I will say though, if someone isn't a crunch and they just want to listen to an episode of this podcast for a certain <laughs> category, I'd, I'll give them a buy on that. Like if they just couldn't get through, <laughs> but if they listen to the episode on a given category and want to make some decision from that, again, we're not picking winners, but if from what we've heard and shared <laughs> informs you, I, I think that's a legitimate approach to voting as well. That's my I opinion, that's not, the, not the good Academy's research. opinion. But, uh, <laughs> All right, moving on to the last film on our list, as advertised, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And the team is Kemp Powers, Justin K. Thompson, Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and Amy Pascal. And I think Joaquin Dos Santos was also a co-director on that, so I'm not sure where his name is. But uh, what can we say about this film? I mean, this film is the second installment of this, this Spider-Verse uh, series from Sony Pictures Animation and it it is amazing like let's just let's just face that um <laughs> I, remember, 
remember uh, two years at Anna, two years ago at Annecy, they showed uh, a couple of scenes from this uh, that introduced the Spot character, uh, as as well as um, Spider Woman on her on her motorcycle, her pregnant <laughs> like lady, and I was like, I don't know what this is, but I can't wait. Oh my god. <laughs> um, and then Hobie too. So the the punk. Uh, I mean, Spider Punk steals the show, right? Um, I mean, let's really be honest. Like, He's like, yeah, let's. Coolest. I know. Well, like, like coolest animated character of all time, Spider Punk. <laughs> I don't know. Let's just let's just say it. Um, you know, I I loved the first one. I I absolutely loved this one, and I cannot wait for the third installment. Well, this I one think, ends on a cliffhanger, so you know, really, we can't I know. wait. <laughs> I really cannot wait. But I just think, you know, again, like Sony Pictures Animation, they did. They broke the they broke everything <laughs> to put this thing together. Yeah. Um and they broke and it I again it, to make this one. And they broke it again <laughs> to create all these amazing, you know, universes that have very distinct artistic styles. And I just think it's so it's so different and it and it has influenced the industry so much. Um I I it's so good. I can't like I, I just I can't even um <laughs> but but it's just it's one of those things where you, you know you watch it and I think you know for people who eat, you know might not like animation for whatever reason like it might take a minute to kind of settle in and and kind of understand the visual language of these films because it is so different but I think once you're in there like it just clicks you know they make it work you know even though you know like this one in particular, you've got all these different styles. You've got live action cut in, you've got 2D, you've got CG, you've got collage, you've got all this like- Lego animation. Lego <laughs> from the 14 year old kid. Yes. Famously from the 14 year old kid in the movie itself. I love it. You know, so they've just got so much going on, but it's just this beautiful, cohesive, amazing story. And I just, I I love, I love it. Yeah, I, I this movie- Especially after the first Spider-Verse, which basically changed the animation industry. Like the, the first, the influence of the first Spider-Verse cannot be overstated. It is crazy how much that has allowed films to be different and said, you don't have to follow the physics-based. I mean, you know, we, we talked about earlier about, about Elemental and Pixar. Like Pixar and Disney have set the standard for physics-based, reality-based shader work and look and lighting. Very polished. They are the, the, the standard bearer for that. And for the longest time, all of the rest of us, like in the industry, if you worked at a DreamWorks or these other places, you were chasing that look. And then Spider-Verse, the first one comes out and it says, no, we're going to do this other thing. And it's a huge hit and it wins the Oscar and it gets the critical claim. Now they have to follow that up. And what do they do? They do even more of what they did in the first film. It's like the rule of the sequels, right? You can't just do the same thing. You got to do more. I mean, now they have six to eight different worlds they depicted in this one with all these different styles. The movie was so big that they made it, well, in the middle of production, they decided to make it two films. Like that's not the plan they started <laughs> off with. They started off with, oh, we're gonna make this one movie and it becomes two. Like that decision is a hard, tough decision to make in the middle of this production. There's over a thousand people that worked. Probably this is this film is probably has the most number of people who've worked on it in any animated film in the history of animation, probably. Uh, there's 240 new characters like that are depicted in here. So the scope of work, if you had to give an award for scope of work, this wins hands down. 
So, but we don't give awards just for scope of work. Obviously, <laughs> uh, that's not what wins the thing. But if you if you think about the sophistication in the storytelling, so they were the first real big multiverse movie when the, the first Spider Verse came out, and that concept is a tough concept. And last year, uh, everything all everywhere all at once wins the Oscar, which I think was an interesting win considering I knew a lot of people who like were confused by that movie, and this one has similar, obviously, because of the multiverse, similar themes and consequences and rules and rule breaking that happens in the film. And it doesn't shy away from that. It is a constant thing in the movie as far as like what the rules of these worlds are and what's breaking. And you have to follow along with them. And it and and the worlds have different rules on gravity and how things operate. So like, I think the complexity in the film and the storytelling is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. And the fact that even simple things like the beginning of the movie is about Gwen Stacy, like the whole beginning of the film, you don't see Miles Morales. It's Gwen Stacy's movie. And so that choice is a risky choice. And they decided to go with that, you know, and I think it starts off like really strong in the Gwen Stacy story. And it really understand that character. And then they reintroduce Miles Morales and even all the twists and turns about, you know, the, 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 the canon event, like they create this, sort of folklore or this 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 rule about the canon event and to reveal that Miles Morales, that character, spoiler alert, isn't supposed to be a Spider-Man. Like that is huge. That's like a huge, like huge twist. But it was so smart. It was so well written, I have to say, because yeah. I didn't see that coming at all. I did not and either. I was, I was like, like what? oh my God. What just happened? Oh no. <laughs> right? yeah. Like they set it up so well. Yeah. And you rarely have that kind of surprise in an animated film. Usually kind of like it's, you know, to have that level of surprise is pretty great. It's pretty a great like, oh, my God, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. yeah. Maybe more sophisticated viewers knew that was going to happen. But I, I don't like, know. I don't <laughs> I feel like I usually know. And then this one, I was like, what? And and I went back. I was like, oh, my God, like they told like it's so well set up, you know, like yeah. it, the built the blocks of that story twist are there. But you you're just you're not or I wasn't following it. The spider punk um, character is amazing and that oh, look that look of like that punk you know uh re, you know uh you know counterculture like 1970s yeah uk zine. world yeah zine look is fantastic i you know it's just something that you have never seen in an animated film you're like wow they really went for it a hundred percent and then even at the very end when you there's that whole setup of like oh miles going back to his universe but there's like if you're i remember watching like wait a minute is he going to the right place and then they reveal he didn't go to the right place even though you think he did and the sort of switcheroo on the ending with Gwen Stacy going to his universe and seeing, not seeing him there. And then it, the whole reveal is fantastic, you know, and the choice to end on a cliffhanger, very controversial, I'm sure for a lot of people. And I read things online that some people didn't like it, but I think they did it well enough where you're excited about the new one, the next one, but it's not all of a downer because you feel Gwen Stacy has rallied the troops and that you can't wait to see them it's almost like Empire, right? Empire Strikes Back. I say Empire because like, the audience will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, the ending of that film, like they're going to get Han, right? Like you have this sense, like there's a, they're on a mission. It's similar in that setup of Empire Strikes Back, which some consider the best Star Wars movie of that first of that trilogy, right? Like, like in terms of like what it, what it, how it was made and and what what it does. And I, I just, I thought the movie was fantastic. It should be also noted um, from a technical standpoint that. Uh, the visual effects of this film, meaning all the Sims and all the world building, were was in the shortlist 
for both the BAFTAs and for the uh, Oscars. Uh, Mike Lasker, the VFX supervisor, fantastic VFX supervisor, um, getting a lot of kudos that rightfully so because of the complexity of this film and managing that complexity across the studio and making sure they could land that plane. I mean, I can't even imagine. I can't. Yeah, imagine. I, can, I mean, usually I can look at a movie and like, oh, I think they did it this way, and I, you know, this is how I would do this, and like to have all of those worlds and all those art styles and to like manage it to complete on time. And like, I know Mike, he's a great guy. He's, you know, he would treat people well, just to be able to do all, hit all, take all those boxes and be a great soup and be creatively still awesome. It's not an easy thing to do at all. In fact, the level of difficulty is off the charts and kudos to him and his team. I'm just thinking of like from the production standpoint, tracking all of the different assets and style, like how, you know, like how did they do that? And, and I think that's why they needed like, to have three co-directors. Like, so if you really, sometimes people who don't come from national, well, how can you have three co-directors? Why would you just, do they do any, like, I know that people say these things, but the fact is you have Kent Powers who comes with the writing chops co-director of soul co-writer of soul so he comes in with a great voice you have uh joaquin de santos dos santos from story who's like storyboard artist and who can draw and like quickly you know mock up sequences and changes in shots and you have justin k thompson who was the production designer from the first film on this one representing the art style with so many worlds like all these people coalesce to represent these different disciplines so that they can be represented in the film that the choices that that are made together are right. And you also, of course, Chris, you know, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, yeah. legendary sort of producer director duo uh, working on this. And, it, and, and they, they cannot be discounted in sort of the making of this film. Like they really those five people together made this film veteran animation editor Mike Andrews oh. on the film. And what he did with editing is. I just if you watch the opening sequence alone, the cutting with the music with Gwen Stacy playing the drums is a tour de force. It's actually fantastic, you know, and so it, that editing was, is so good, you know. So I think there's a, there's a lot of people on this film working at the highest levels to produce this this content, this this movie, this magnum opus that's too big for one film. And I mean, can you imagine if they had tried to fit all of this into just one film? I mean, I, it would be terrible. I, I it, it, it would be, awful. be Yeah, it would yeah. be like this unwatchable mess of like, what's happening? Yeah. Who's what? Like, no, like who would you, like, think about this. If you were the filmmakers and you're like, okay, well, we have to shortchange people and make this a two hour or hour yeah. and a half movie. Let's fit it into that's, 72 minutes. Yeah, let's, let's get into the right size of the box so that we get enough views per day and that way we'll make a lot of money and uh, we can't afford to make two movies. We'll make one. <laughs> You know, that's kind of nonsense. <laughs> but we also don't know what the third movie is going to be. Like they might resolve all the good stuff in the very beginning of the third movie. And then it's <laughs> yeah, waiting yeah. for Godot and for it's an all hour happy and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, my, it's like, oh, they could have probably tied that up, but we don't know. <laughs> all I'm thinking is thank God they thought it was going to be one movie. Cause I don't want to wait seven years while they decide to make a thing. Let's make a third yeah. movie on this. I mean, the space between the first and second weren't that long, right? Like what's only compressed time between those yet still to your point, Camille, we're seeing a, an advance on the technique and I presume some of the technology as well to make these new worlds as new as they are in that short period of time. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Gwen Stacy world that has like watercolor color, falling yeah. down, like, yes. oh Actively my God. In every shot. Oh my God. Um, the line work, I think they came Beautiful. up with new ways to do the line work that's in there, that the, the comic book uh, outline work that, that was going on there. Um, leveraging all of the Ben Day dot depth of field rendering that they did in the uh, first film. Um, but I think these kinds of movies require such innovation. And I, and the, they had, I think Sony, so it's Sony Pictures Animation using Sony Pictures Imageworks. So Sony Pictures Animation exists in Culver City. They are the sort of the hub of this all. They are the creative sort of nexus point. But then they send the final shot work, all the animation, everything after like story and edit basically goes to Vancouver to the Sony Pictures Animation Studios where the Sony Pictures Imageworks Studios, which they actually do the shots. And I think that because they did the first one, they had the confidence to take the risks on the second one, you know? So the first one, they break all the rules. I'm like, I don't know if I, I could, actually, I know enough people to know they didn't know if they could pull it off, but they went for it 100%. But that gives them the confidence to do it even more so on the second film, you know? And that's what happens is you're emboldened by those choices. Like you're allow, you allow yourself to take that risk. And they, they for sure did that on this second film. Well, and I'm I'm so excited to see the the third one um but also just what comes next from from sony <laughs> you know because i feel like they've raised the bar you see it bleeding out to their other films in vivo you saw elements mm -hmm. of it in mitchell's versus the machines you oh, saw yeah. elements of this like they take the parts that are right for that movie so this is like a big innovative film and they they're that the level of innovation is super high and it because the movie story requires it and then all of their other films are the beneficiaries of that technology and that innovation. We talked about it last year in the VFX Awards about Avatar, like Avatar being this movie that like creates technology that Weta uses on other films. And I think that's another example here at Imageworks and why they're considered one of the, the premier animation sort of vendor studios is because they innovate so much here that every other show gets the benefit of the innovation they do on this particular picture or this series of pictures. And you see it, and Sony's the most adept to using it, Sony Animation, because they know about it, right? They understand it and they work with it and they they can leverage it into their next film. That And it's, again, image, it's, it's movie appropriate. Whatever's appropriate for that film, they use it, you know? And also, I mean, the fact that audiences responded to it, I think just shows the entire industry that, you can take risks and you can do kind of different things, different looks, different styles. And it's really about that, that storytelling, you know, so you don't have to have that super polished look, like you can try different things visually and, um, and, and see where that takes you. So I, th I think it's been interesting just to see how it does kind of bleed out into, you know, other films, other, you know, series just kind of across the board. Cause, cause like you said, like everyone worked on it. Um, like a thousand people a thousand people worked on it. Um, I mean I think you know personally from my experience like I think that the Spider-Verse world has allowed like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to look the way it does and it's and that's sort of the way I, I sort of talk about it in the context in which I talk about Turtles is that we did this whole uh, and specifically it was Yashar Kasai production designer Arthur Fong and Tiffany Lamb the art directors they created this teenage drawing style that wasn't questioned by the studio that was embraced by the studio and I think had Spider-Verse not come out there would have been lots of questions like I don't know if that's going to work are people going to like that are they going to respond to that maybe we should be more like this other traditional style and so I think that's that's the thing that's beautiful about this movie these movies is it allows you to say hey those guys did it and they they not only were successful 
they they made something creatively amazing and that allows permission to do the take those risks and i'm forever grateful to everyone at imageworks and spa for pushing the envelope to allow people other people to do the same thing in their own sort of sphere well it's exciting to see the technology just get, just improve and just what they can do and you know what's possible and uh just pushing the the envelope you know yeah. to these places that we haven't seen before and i don't know just so many interesting things in this film but i i'm just i'm i again i can't wait for the next one yeah <laughs> like ready to see it today i mean <laughs> if you and it just here's here's the thing would you have predicted Indian Spider-Man no. embraced by the world. Like, like that, that was is- amazing. That was <laughs> yeah. amazing. I lost my mind. I would because and, and by the way, like I do not consider myself like a comic book Spider-Man person. What? Um, I know. I don't know. Um, but I but I love that they made me yeah this Spider-Man person. Because <laughs> I mean, even at the you know, at the end when it's all bananas with all the different spider spider-man and spider-women and spider-creatures and um that one moment where they're all pointing at each other you you you, you, you i was you. like you're killing me yeah like you basically <laughs> killed me <laughs> camille's like, on the ground am, she's on the ground That's i it. am on the floor like, and i'm not crying yeah unlike every other film i was <laughs> you're not crying you're not crying on this one so, you're on the floor you're, just, you're prone you're prone yeah. on the floor right now i was i was like oh no that's how that one went. That's how, oh no. <laughs> yeah, oh no. When, the, when is the third one happening? And I just love the personality <laughs> of the Indian Spider-Man. That character was oh, so charming and funny and overconfident and cocky in all the right ways that just like was super funny. And I just, there's, I have an appreciation for the lift on this, on these films and like the, and how difficult they are to make and then to manage and then to be to you just you all the stories about it and i know there are other stories about sort of how it was made that maybe is somewhat derogatory but the fact is it was all in service of making it the best movie possible and i think that there's a relentlessness about the filmmakers and specifically phil lord and chris miller about like we cannot be satisfied until we know we have done everything we can to make the best movie possible and i appreciate that i think that influenced the director of um of of teenage mutant ninja turtles jeff rowe who worked with them on Mitchell's versus the machines. And you can, I saw it almost every day in sort of his approach to making sure, ensuring that Turtles was the best it could be. And I appreciate, I loved working for him because of that, because it, it gave, it afforded me permission to be that way and to question myself and to not be precious and to sort of look for the better thing that the film called for. And I think that's what you see in Spider-Verse is that relentless filmmaking. Yeah, here. and I think these are films that, you know, 20 years from now all these people that have worked on it i mean this is one that you you look back on and it, it it's this is this is one of the best ones i think to have worked on one of the series that that just has changed something you it's know, a and, seminal film in the history of animation as far as like the first canon event it's a canon event. event the first one is a canon <laughs> event in the history of animation in our universe <laughs> Before we move on, I want to revisit quickly, uh, Camille, what you said earlier about Joaquim Dos Santos not being recognized uh, with the nomination list. And we won't go deep into it now, but the Academy has these somewhat arbitrary and completely arcane rules about who gets represented and how many representatives there can be. And that sort of stuff seems to have been in effect here. And I, I don't know, I wonder whether they'll revisit that, something like that, when someone who clearly is a big part of this 
is not on the nomination list, although we've we've recognized him here and hopefully pronounced his name right as well. I feel I just feel badly for him because I you know if if you have the title of co-director, you are putting in the work. If that is it, and especially on a film like this, where it requires so many people and such a high level of complexity. So my heart goes out to I don't know him, Joaquin dos Santos, but I recognize you and I applaud your effort. And I think it's a shame. That's what I'll, I, that's really what I can say about that. First time I was going to compare it to Best Picture, which is producers. And being a director does not necessarily have you on the list of people recognized for Best Picture unless you are a producer. And so that can get complicated. But the rules around animated films are even more complicated. And why we will not try to summarize them here. Listeners who are interested <laughs> should do a Google search on that. But yeah, it was very complicated. But came up very quickly. You're not the only ones thinking about it. For us to move on, <laughs> tell me what other 2023 animated features might have earned a nomination in this category in an alternative universe thoughts? Well, I certainly think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> should have been nominated. Ah, uh, oh, thanks, Camille. I appreciate that. It was great. My list as well, Ken. And again, we did a really great in-depth uh, podcast about it back when it was in theaters. And so uh, uh, folks that was who, so much fun. Kid. <laughs> uh, we encourage folks to watch the movie and and, and hear more about the behind the scenes. But uh, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed that film as well. Well, thanks. I, I, I feel like the movie got a lot of love. And um, I, I like I said, every everything else is gravy and. Sometimes you win and sometimes you lose and that's just the way it goes. And you sort of, you know, that's okay. And, and I, I loved all the movies on the list. So it's not like I can say, well, that movie didn't deserve to make it, you know, like they all deserved it. So it was a great year for animated films. If you were like looking for something that was off, maybe not the usual, like you had the big blockbuster Spider-Verse, right? And, but like at the same time, you had these other films that maybe, you know, you could miss if you didn't know about them. And I, I encourage everyone to see those films. A movie that I saw that surprised me was an, another Japanese anime called Blue Giant. And it's about jazz. It's a movie, it's a movie about, and I, I'm not a jazz fan. I'm not a jazz hater, but I, so I know nothing really about it, except for I loved Whiplash and I thought that was amazing. Oh, yes. But um, <laughs> um, it's a movie about a musician who wants to move to Tokyo to become like the, the greatest jazz musician or you know, the one he can he can be. And it's it surprised me because it's it has these moments where it goes into him playing, you know, music and it it spins out into these amazingly and these beautiful interpretations of music through anime. And I just thought it was pretty great. And and like I said, you don't have to be a jazz fan because I am not and to appreciate that film. And I thought it was great. Uh, Blue Giant. I would I would recommend seeing that um, that film. I think it was really, really fantastic. If you want something that looks that has an incredible look to it, The Peasants is an oil painted animated film by the same people that did. Is it uh, Vincent? The, the one several years ago about Vincent Van Gogh's life where it was painted in the style of Vincent Van Gogh. It's a very adult movie in terms of its themes and what it's about. And it's 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 a little hard to watch because of it in terms of like there's bad things happen in the movie. But if from a just from a watching it, they what the way the technique they use is they filmed the live action version of it and they painted on top of it with oil colors. And they had you know lots of artists do individual paintings and it's beautiful. It's like a stunning come to life oil painting is really what it is. Um, those are the two that sort of like are maybe people may not know about that I think are worth checking out for sure. Yeah, I was just looking through the the list and 
mean, there were so many films that came out. I feel like most of them I watched with my daughter. Um, Anything else that made you cry, Camille? Anything else that had you crying? They're kind of all on this on the list. <laughs> on the list. Um, but 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 we really enjoyed uh, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Ah, uh, the sequel to the original Chicken the sequel. Run. To the beloved I mean, Chicken I'm just, Run. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a... Yeah, I love Ardman. I love stop motion animation. And I just think like the craft of it is so, so beautiful and well done. But um, that was, that was a really beautiful one. One thing that I do want to mention that happened uh, just maybe a, it was a week ago, which I'm very sad about, is that Mark Gustafson, Gustafson oh. from Shadow Machine won the Best Animated Picture Award with uh, Guillermo del Toro for Pinocchio, passed away suddenly and unexpectedly last week. Um, an amazing storied uh animator director came from will vinton studios um moved up you know literally started sweeping the floors there and then it's a great success story became the co-director on pinocchio and and co you know started shadow machine i think he was one of the founders of shadow machine i actually met him in december oh. i got to fly out to shadow machine to do a presentation about turtles and he could not have been more gracious or more kind and generous with his time. I got to see the sets from Pinocchio. It was great. But uh, <laughs> so when cool. I saw that in the in the news, I was so saddened and shocked by it. And really, um, that's a real loss for the animation community, obviously for his family and friends and for Shadow Machine. And my heart goes out to all of them. Real loss there. Yeah, same. Well, I appreciate that shout out. Uh, on that note, guys, we're going to call it a wrap. Great having you guys both here once again. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for bringing us back again. It was awesome to talk about these movies. Can't shut us up. We love, I love it. it. <laughs> I love it. Listeners, don't want to shut you up either. I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info on our website, logoline1word.biz. That's B-I-Z. If you enjoyed this episode, you're going to enjoy all the Oscar episodes. So please subscribe. We'll drop another one in three days' time. My closing credits, thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Juan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. To all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line. All right, for the last film on our list, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Oh, shit, I'm sorry. That's an alternative universe. <laughs> Where my film, <laughs> where Joyce oh, got to be on it. Oh, uh, come, oh man. We'll, that's, talk about a gut punch. I, I know. Just, I just oh. love the film. I'm so angry about oh. it not being there. All right. We'll, oh, my uh, goodness. We also recorded a really good podcast on that one, I got to say, as well. That was a fun episode. So people should check it out. Uh, Arthur was great. Isn't Arthur? Uh, Arthur Funk's a fantastic. <laughs> Some portion of that might end up in the post credits. We'll see, unless you That's veto fine. it. But you can fine. think about that. No, no, no. I'm not going to veto anything. Are you kidding, Skid? Like, you're the author of the podcast, and there's nothing in that that you said there that's bad. Except for you shouldn't have to apologize. Don't apologize. So we're taking the auteur <laughs> approach to the podcasting then. That's, uh, I, if you listen to the directing episode, we had a big debate about what the auteur theory is for film overall. So. Is that right? That's why that one runs long. All right. Wow. Back on track. <laughs>